Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen and Friends. If Watch With Jen is the studio track, this is the acoustic version. Today's guest is Paul Osborne, a talented writer-director. I first encountered Paul Osborne in his highly entertaining documentary, Official Rejection, which explored the wild world of American film festivals as experienced by independent filmmakers, including Paul, who documented his own adventures traveling across the country with his film 10 Till Noon. Particularly skilled at helming smart noirish thrillers, including my favorite, Favor, which was a smash hit on the charts of iTunes, Paul's latest film is Cruel Hearts, which was produced by his wife and business partner, Leslie Wimmer Osborne, an award winner who's also worked as a film editor and written articles for a number of outlets, including Movie Maker, Film Threat, Hope for Film, and SAG Indie. Paul and Leslie live with their three children in Burbank, California. I've been looking forward to bringing Paul on Watch with Jen and Friends for today's discussion. Welcome, Paul. Thank you so much for doing this, Paul. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to do it. Are you kidding? I read you so much. I guess you're part of the conversation. It's cool. Oh, very cool. Well, Paul, how are you doing and how are you adapting to pandemic life? Uh, wow. Well, let's see. Um, I mean, the day to day at home is is good. I'm making money editing from home. Um, my good. wife works for a studio, so she's able to work from home or, you know, it's been very I mean, the day to day for us. I mean, this is a very privileged thing to say, but it's actually been kind of nice to not have to commute in L.A. traffic and, to, yeah. you know, we it's two hours of my day every day I have back um I get I do you know spend more time with them and I get to see everybody all day long and and uh, which I, I is a good thing um good there's you know, I mean but I mean there's obviously a lot of stress and fear and you know yeah and and when he's in school the nine-year-old's in school it's difficult um and uh you know it's as an independent filmmaker we can't shoot right now really I mean you can mm-hmm. but it's the the um the uh, um, safety guidelines put forth by the Screen Actors Guild, which I think are absolutely necessary, by the way. I think they're not they're not I don't think their guidelines are an overreaction at all, um, but they are they are very prohibitively expensive to maintain. So until there's a vaccine and they can change their guidelines to give us a documentation of everybody's vaccination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, it, right now, it's it's just prohibitively expensive to shoot an indie film. I mean, you if you have a, you know, with a, with a something that's you know a, a larger budget project, you can take money out of your buffer in the budget to find to, to pay for this extra layer of protection. You don't have that buffet. And I mean, my my friend Blaine is shooting a movie uh, that was delayed. This was shoot right before the break, this, the lockdown happened. He's shooting now towards the end of the month, and it's an extra seventeen thousand dollars out of their budget to protect everybody now to put this in perspective they've they've pared it down to a crew of five. Oh wow yeah and they're doing this in virginia uh so we're, not, we're talking about uh virginia hotel rates virginia testing rates they found some really amenable cost-effective ways to do things they've eliminated zone b which is where you put all the wardrobe and the ha- makeup and hair people everything their own wardrobe makeup and hair 100 percent, like handling all of it so mm-hmm you eliminate all those things and for only an extra $17,000, you can make your $100,000 or whatever it is movie. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. And there's no film festivals right now. I mean, there's, um, yep. there's online festivals, but I mean, I think I worry about those, you know, the problem with an online festival is unless they're gating it to only their city, which of course they're not. Um, mm-hmm. It's really, it it's cutting it, it for an indie film. It cuts into your eventual, digital distribution, you know, as opposed to, yeah. yeah, Like without the theatrical exclusivity of a film festival, it's just cutting into your eventual bottom line down the, down the road. Unless festivals are going to offer a percentage of the revenue from their ticket sales, which I don't think they can afford to do. Mm -hmm. um, You know, it's, yeah. So it's, it's really tough right now in terms of that, but in terms of the actual, like getting up in the morning, I get up an hour later than I normally would, you know, all right. Ants, (laughs) 
I haven't worn long pants in four months. It's all been shorts. Always so, a perk. Yeah. Always a perk. Uh, yes. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. How are you adapting? I'm doing well. This is normally what I do, writing from home, so it isn't that big of an adjustment. I think mostly it's just the outside world that feels strange. So just kind of getting in the right mindset and trying to block out, like you want to pay attention to the news, but you don't want to do too much of that before you need to focus because you can't focus then. So that was a real challenge, especially at the beginning. But I seem to be adapting pretty well. And I think podcasting has been great because it gives me a way to stay in touch with friends and have a little more interactivity, which is nice for sure. But a question that I've always wanted to ask you, and shout out to Jason Carney of the Phoenix (laughs) Film Festival. Hey, Jason. uh, Which, yes, recently became a second outlet of mine. And Jason was the one that first got me access to your documentary, Official Rejection, which I really love. Did you think of recording the documentary while you were on the road with 10 Till Noon? Or was this an idea that came to you ahead of time? Oh, good question. Um, it actually occurred to us as we started rolling out 10 till noon onto the festival circuit. We basically, we, we had a, a sales rep mm-hmm. and we brought onto the film pretty early on and we'd already applied to some festivals and we had gotten accepted to one in San Francisco, but we had gotten rejected by Sundance and there were these things. And, and he suddenly came on and he's like, whoa, guys, 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 you're messing up your premiere status. And we're like, what does that mean? You know, we had no idea. We were completely clueless. He's like, well, and he started explaining to us the rules, these politics of film festivals. And we're like, oh, my God, really? And so we had mm-hmm. no and I, I thought I thought I'm out of my depth. Like, I don't I this. I just figured you would just the best movie gets in. And so very naively. So I started looking for a documentary on the subject of film festivals. I thought, you know, filmmakers go to film festivals. They make films by definition. There's got to be at least one or two good documentaries on film festivals. I didn't want to read a book. I wanted to get something I could, because we were like in the middle of it. I wanted to get something like two hours. I could be, you know, I could have it in my head. And there was nothing. There was nothing. And I don't know if it's because filmmakers didn't want to speak out of turn. about. Oh, festivals. that could be. Yeah. I think that was a big part of it. But I thought, oh man, we should, we should make the film that we are trying to find. And we can make it a comedy because we're going to screw up a lot. And, <laughs> And I remember being ex- – I'm thinking – I was exhausted after we made 10 till noon, and I was thinking, I remember thinking, oh, oh, it's a good idea, but then I have to do it. If I do <laughs> I have to actually summon up the – the gas tank is at zero, and i got to summon up the – but, you know, we did. We started shooting it right away, and I think before – we basically started getting accepted. We started shooting, I think, like a week after the agent was like telling us the rules of that was start, start rolling. And I remember Scott storm was like, what if we only get into like one festival? And I said, well, <laughs> it'll be a short subject. It'll be, it'll yeah. be extra. If we get into like two or three, we probably have a, a movie. And, um, as we got into more and more, you know, began to figure out the structure of the piece. Um, but it was definitely something that we, we thought of kind of as we started to realize how clueless we were. Mm. Gotcha. And while you were there, is that when you met a lot of these filmmakers like Blaine Weaver, who I'm sure you were referencing to earlier? I speak to Blaine in a few days. Very excited. Oh, he's great. Yeah. yeah it's nice to have the two friends on in the same week. People, yeah. always, people think we're brothers a lot. People look at us and go, you kind of look the same. You're kind of like brothers. But I'm like, I'm always the Randy Quaid to his Dennis. Oh, Daniel no. Daniel Baldwin. <laughs> No. Like the movie star version of me on the schlubby version of him. It's no, kind of, not at he's, all. <laughs> he's great. I love him. Uh, yeah, no, I met Blaine. I met Blaine through MySpace. That's how long I've known Blaine. Oh, wow. Okay. We started promoting 10 Till Noon on MySpace. And um, he was the only other filmmaker out there that I saw being as annoying as I was. And I remember kind of being like, we were we both got into the Dead Center Film Festival, and I remember he was like, I was putting stuff up, and he was putting stuff up, and he just, he kept trying to top me, and I had to <laughs> talk to the guy. I'm like, who's out? His, his film was called Outside Sales. Like, who's this outside sales jerk? What is this guy? <laughs> and uh, I remember chatting with him, like going, Hey, so I see you know you'd like to promote too. Well, let me tell you. And he goes, Oh, I see. We should promote off or something. I don't know, whatever. It was some like you know, yeah, both, posturing. Both <laughs> 
Yeah, but with a with a with a smile because we both recognized yeah. that. And then we I met him at the Dead Center Film Festival. Um, you know when, uh, when we went there opening night, and and uh, we've been friends ever since. I love your collaborations together. And I was going to ask you if you had any new projects on the horizon. Is I heard about was it Clip Joint? Was that what you guys were writing? We wrote that was a few years ago. We wrote Clip okay. Joint. Yeah, we've written, we've done, we've done some stuff together. We, um, well, we obviously we did. He's an official rejection, and he's yes. star of favor. And I wrote that role for him. Uh-huh. Uh, and we shot a new film last year called Fluorescent Beast, which I'm editing right now. And we're gonna have to probably hold on to until like 2022, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, but literally, I walked from the editing bay working on that movie and walked right in here to talk to you. Um, oh wow. But uh, he has a, a role in that, and that, again, I wrote for him. Um, and yeah, we've done some writing together. He wrote, we wrote Clip Joint. We wrote right after Six Month Rule, okay. and I think it we ended up being too expensive a project. So he oh. made so it's like he because it was a, it was a, a crime thriller. He wanted to kind of explore that territory. So we did Clip Joint, and then when he realized that was a bit uh, too big a bite, and he saw how Favor was done on a, such a smaller budget. He made a, a different film called Cut to the Chase. Yes. And that Cut to the Chase is the, is the, is the low-budget cousin of Clip Joint gotcha. in a lot of ways. Uh, and I didn't work on uh, uh, um, Cut to the Chase, except I did do a little bit of uh, dialogue um, um, polishing. I gave him some notes as well on that one. I gave him some notes, but I yep. but he, I love that script. Yeah. He actually had me um, do some, do some re just like a, like a, like a quick polish on Lance Ooh. Hendrickson's lines. Like he's like, he was busy. Can you just maybe make, he's a little more beefy, just beef him up a little bit. So I beefed him up and it's like Lance dropped most of what I wrote. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we don't need this. We don't need this. This is like, I made it all, I, made, I went like the Tarantino one and I made it all flowery and he's like, just, say this go back to what was <laughs> uh, but a few of my lines on, lance <laughs> a few of my lines made it through also I, I i named cut to the chase i don't know if you knew that no i was talking to blaine about hey no we need something kind of fast something snappy and i didn't know that that's so cool yeah it was i was uh it was i was in the outlet retail mall uh near palm springs with my wife for her birthday we went out to palm springs and then because her birthday is right after Christmas, so I never know what to get her. She goes, just take me shopping. I'll just, <laughs> you, you're the credit card, and I'll pick the gifts. I'm like, great. So we're doing this retail, <laughs> this outlet mall, and I'm doing a lot of purse holding in stores. And uh, so I'm just texting. Good husband, yeah. yeah you know, well, and I'm texting Blaine, and I, I'm like, uh, hey, uh, you know, let's, 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 let's play with the name of – because he had, I think it was called Shreve or Shreveport at that point. Yes. He had told me he wanted a new name. I thought, well, here's an opportunity. I'm just sitting here. I'll just start playing with him on names. I kept suggesting he call it Shreve it to Weaver, which <laughs> shockingly he didn't uh, he didn't go for. <laughs> Shreve um, it to Weaver. I love that. <laughs> but he um, – yeah, so he said he was looking – he's like, he's, we're looking to change the name of the main character, the last name, because it's Cahill in the script – and we've just cast Erin Cahill right. playing my sister, and it's, it's too close to K. It's too close. To, it's her name, so we need to change the last name. So we're looking for a last name we can change Max's name to that we can tie into the title. into the title. He's like, like, if, like he goes, he's a bad example. If his name was Force, and we went full Force, and I'm like, okay, I gotcha. Well, I said, what if his last <laughs> name is Chase, and you call him Max Chase, and you call it Cut to the Chase? This is my first suggestion. I was like, I had like five or six more after that. He goes, oh wow, that's great. Hang on. I'm like, all right, that, <laughs> check with the guys. That's the title. And I was like, oh, that happened quick. So literally wow. it was just me, me purse holding in like a Nordstrom rack. <laughs> <laughs> and it's film history. I love that. Spitballing with my, my buddy, the Beeve. Yes. Well, you do have a real way with thrillers and are a very talented screenwriter. I'm a huge fan of Favor which I encourage everyone to seek out. For those listening who maybe haven't seen it, tell everyone about the movie and how you first got the idea for it. Was it at Nordstrom, first of all? Shockingly, no. No, uh, okay. Well, the Favor is a film based on the old saying, a friend helps you move, but a good friend helps you move a body. Um, that's <laughs> sort of the idea. And the, um, I think the idea, I mean, it sort of stemmed from me wanting to work with Blaine Weaver and me wanting to work with another actor named Patrick Day, who are both friends of mine. Oh, Patrick. Yeah. Yeah. 
Patrick's amazing. I saw Patrick in a, in a film called um, Waiting for Ophelia and uh, that a friend of mine made. We went to the cast and crew screening. And I'm like, my God, this guy is so good. It was like watching Gene Hackman. Like, yeah. And my wife was like, that's just Pat. He's right there. Like, that's, a, that's my college. <laughs> Pat. Like, oh, I, was, I was scared to talk to him. Like, I was intimidated by this guy. Um, so I met him. I said, hey, I really want to write something with you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. You know, that <laughs> was like the most cocktail party talk you'd ever hear. But I, yeah, yeah. And then I saw Blaine. I don't blame for years at this point, but I saw him in a play. Uh, and I was like, oh, my God. I just, you know, I knew he could act. But I'm like, he's really good. Like, I'm just sitting here watching him on stage. I'm like, I, I had these two guys I wanted to write for. And I thought I should write something for both of them together. And it kind of spun out from figuring out their characters and figuring out their um, dynamic and where the story should go from there. Um, and we'll go from that. But I think also part of it came from weirdly enough from, from Facebook, um, uh-huh. Facebook, because Facebook at that time, you know, you're starting to reconnect with people you knew from high school and grade school and junior high and college and people you worked with five years ago and people you knew 20 years ago, people you knew mm-hmm. 30 years ago, all in the same room, kind of arguing over the same ranting, whatever political, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And you start catching up with people you haven't that you knew in your youth that you have nothing in common with anymore. And yes. some of them are more successful than you and you're very envious and you're like, ah. and some of them are less successful than you and you could feel them kind of, you know, snuggling up to your warmth. And yeah. that was a strange dynamic. And really the only thing I had, and there was one who got really, it was really like psychotic person on, on Facebook. I remember there was a, an oil spill and I wrote something about this terrible oil spill and he wrote, he wrote, He's a truck driver, and he wrote uh, something like, "Well, if you don't like oil spills, then you should just, you know, how are you going to get your stuff? Because car, because truck." And he was a very a pro trucking, and I'm like, "Gosh, no one's in favor of the oil spill. Like, I know. it's not in favor. No one wants the like the environmentalists don't want it, but which is why I posted it. But like, but like the oil companies don't want it either. That's lost revenue. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's nothing. Why are you pro oil spill? I know that's like, insane. That's not, and I thought, why am I friends with this guy? Like, I knew him in sixth grade. I don't like this person. I don't have anything mm-hmm. in common with this person. So I unfriended him, and then, I, and then he kept coming at me, so I blocked him. Yeah. And it, it caused this, like, scandalous ripple. Did you hear that Paul blocked so-and-so? Oh, no. And I'm like, and I, was like I don't owe this guy anything. Like, mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's being disruptive. I don't owe – why do I – why is there an obligation? And so the dynamic of the two characters in favor sort of stemmed from that. They've known each other a long time. And they've got kind of this a friendship of familiarity more than a friendship based on any actual anything in common. And mm-hmm. when this dead body situation happens, it upends the balance of power in the relationship. And all the toxicity that's there on both sides comes out. And that was sort of the, the impetus for the script. And by the way, you can see it for free right now on Tubi, which is a free streaming wow. platform. Get on, I you get on on your Apple TV. You can get on your computer, your phone. You can get it on Roku, any device. All out there. It's free with ads, so no subscription required. To be just saying that right now. Yeah. As far as I know, that's the only that's the only place it's streaming for free right now. You of course can get it on iTunes and Vudu and all the other places, and there's a DVD out there. And so, but just to just to plug it, just to plug it a little bit. <laughs> yes, you should. I love that movie. All the twists you came up with. It was so clever. Yeah, yeah and yeah. the actors were great. It was cool to see them go toe-to-toe, because the same thing. I mean, I knew Blaine was an actor, but when he's in that dramatic of a sequence with Patrick Day, you're like, whoa. Yeah. So that was very cool to see. I had uh, I had drinks with Blaine once. This is where a lot of his character stems from. I had drinks with them once, and I mean, I've had drinks with them many times, but I was having this one particular time we were having drinks. Okay. Um, he was talking about the fact that he's got this... He's aware he has this inherent likability factor about his persona, about his energy. Gotcha. He's got. A, he's one of those people that you meet and you feel very comfortable with them right away. It's something to do with his demeanor and the way he looks and his smile. That's just who Blaine is. Yeah. And he was talking about that. He's obviously he's been in it. He's aware of it. And he goes, "It's funny. People always meet me and they always feel like they know me and they're comfortable with me right away. And they and he's and they and they seem to like me right away often." He goes, "But." I don't always like them. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, you know, and he's, that was his, he was just kind of talking about the fact that people assume it's, there's a reciprocity there. Yeah. But he's like, he's like, I don't really like a, 
some people, you know, and mm-hmm. I try to be, and he was talking about how he's trying to be nice and stuff. And, and, I, and I, I thought, wow, I thought that's a really dark thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and a, real, a realistic thought, but a really dark thought. And I kind of, if Blaine was a sociopath, yes. he, <laughs> that'd be and, interesting. And with this information, he, he could do some terrible things, you know. He's, know. he's not at all, thankfully, but he no. he could be a monster, and that was where <laughs> that was where it came from. Um, so, but he's fortunately he's a very very conscientious, stand up, great guy. Yeah, very charming. Not at all scary. No. no, not at all scary. But even deep down, even in his recesses of his core, when you peel back the charm, he's still. Yeah. An extremely decent human being. I want to put that out there right now. It's the dark shadow version of Blaine that is in favor. <laughs> but as far as I know, he hadn't really done anything like that before on screen. You know, oh. he was known for being more char- – at that point, he'd done mostly romantic comedies. I think the darkest yeah. thing he'd done was Six Month Rule, which is still in its bones a rom-com. And mm-hmm. so I'm like – I. Let's take you down this dark path and do something and, and kind of play off the persona you've already established in these romantic comedies – um, and kind of pull pull the skin off of it and really look at a dark version of it. And that was sort of the impetus for that character. Interesting. I like that. Well, what is your writing process like, and how do you work long distance with a collaborator? Uh, with Blaine, I don't collaborate a lot. Um, okay. So it's it's usually, I mean, I just, I'm a bad collaborator when it's my idea, because <laughs> I kind of... I am too, yeah, I, I admit. know how I want it to be. You know, yeah. I get a fairly clear idea where I'm going with it. And and um, so when I'm writing for myself, usually I get an, I get a lot of ideas. I mean, I get mm-hmm. a, usually I get an idea that I can't kind of let go of. Okay. And I start sort of it's never invited. It's just there. <laughs> and uh, and I, I start getting like to the point where I'm like I'm seeing scenes in my head and I'm and I start getting really like obsessed and antsy with it. And, and usually I see it pretty completely. Um, although not always. Mm-hmm. So I'll just start, I'll just jump into it. And I've done it long enough now that I don't need to outline as much as I used to. I, I used to outline a lot. I used to do a lot of like construction and, and I, what I was doing, I started, I would start outlining, but I th- see things so completely that I would start outlining and I start, the outlines would become more and more dense. They essentially turn the dialogue and scenes. Eventually I'm just writing. I'm just writing oh, scripts. Wow. I'm like, like, why am I still outlining? Like, I'm just writing because I see so much. <laughs> I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to get the summary down quickly so I can start the pages. And I'm like, well, I'm already – I'm putting all of it in the outline. It's already turning into a script. So I would I, when I outlined back then, I would do the most bare bones because I wanted to get to the writing quickly right away. And now I, I don't even really outline unless it's really a tricky piece structurally. Okay. I'm usually pretty good about – knowing where it goes and I'm, I'm editing the structure of my head as I'm working, working along. But, um, and then I'll, uh, I try to write the first draft very quickly. Um, I just try to not censor and just kind of, you know, the vomit draft people call it. Mm-hmm. I usually do between eight and 10 pages a day that way. And so a hundred page script will take me a couple of weeks and then I put it away for a couple of months and then I mm-hmm. come back and then the polishing process begins and that can be, that can be more painful and more involved. And that takes as long as, it takes that takes until going yeah. through it till it's like sometimes it's like man this is already pretty solid clean the dialogue up and clean some descriptions up and and sometimes it's like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> we, need to, we need to rethink this we need to rethink this this is wrong I, this needs to be done like so the rewriting process can take a few months but it just but usually that's um the way it goes i i just wrote a uh, I, I just for some reason i started uh, kind of fell down a rabbit hole with some uh, with some uh, Jalo movies with okay. <laughs> Sergio Martino movies and interesting. I, I don't know why, but I kind of went down that hole and uh, and uh, and some and some Ful- and some some Fulci movies and and not his horror movies, but like more like the the thrillers. And I started so I wrote a a three story Jalo anthology script. Uh-huh. It's just, and it's super violent. And I'm like, I'm, this must be my anxiety over the virus. Yeah. <laughs> <situation> <laughs> coming out. its way out. Yeah. But I'm like, this is the nastiest scene I've ever written. And then two later, no, this is the nastiest this scene is- I've ever written. <laughs> I topped that one by like 10 times. Um, wow. And that was in the drawer right now waiting for revisions. Um, as far as working long distance, I when I've collaborated, I mean, with ClipJoint specifically, um, 
Blaine had a script and the way that Blaine writes uh, is he tends to, he has a sort of a, an idea of the genre or the place he wants to get to, but the form is fairly vague. Um, okay. And so he's, he does a lot of rewriting and a lot of sort of, he'll put out a, a really rough thing and he'll send mm-hmm. it to 20 people and they'll get notes back and he'll really, so he cobbles, I, I, tend to zone in right away. I know right what this is going right what I want this to feel like and be really specifically. And he's more like, I kind of want something like this. Let's find it. You know, which I guess yeah. is actor's approach as opposed actor's to actor's approach. Yeah, yeah. That's a very good observation. Yeah. So he's, and which if you read his stuff is the character work is really strong and the relationship is. is always really strong because that's where he starts. Um, mm-hmm. So, and it's finding the plot and stuff kind of emerges later. Um, so with clip joint, he was having trouble sort of finding the, the soul of the pieces of thriller. Okay. Um, it was like, he goes, it was a noir and he was like, look, you're good at noir. So I did, a, I did a couple of, um, provisions with him. I just did some, um, some, um, uh, notes initially, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm lucky to be in his notes circle. Yeah. Um, one point he goes, they started, he goes, dudes, would you consider maybe, doing a pass on the script. And I was like, Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. So I, I did it. I said, I'm going to do a, I said, if we do permission, I'll do a page one rewrite. Oh, wow. Yeah. And just do a whole other, not this, that's not, I mean, I'm giant chunks of his dialogue structurally very, very much. Sure. The same. I'll do a page one kind of flush through. So all the things I'm thinking about are coming and then you can take it and you can do whatever you want with, it. you can put things back or blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And the way he works that's that works for his process gotcha to tear apart and put it back together tear apart because that's what he's doing the whole time anyway so i did a page one rewrite um again still his bones still a lot of his stuff but um really stringing along a different you know in, in a different on a different spine a little bit and he was great and he went back in and he did a whole same thing he went through the whole past mm-hmm. keeping a lot of my stuff and a lot of what i added but changing and not going back changing more and changing more and because mm-hmm. he, he wanted to strengthen things i had i had lessened or he wanted to put more character stuff he wanted to make his his character a little meaner and so i said great he goes you do now you and i went back and i did it again and, oh, and wow. so we you know, and as we went through it it changed less and less it became more of a, a polish each time okay so it's really his story mm-hmm. and it's really his characters and it was more me just sort of and the relationships are the same. It's more me noirifying it, you know, <laughs> and finding little things. Like there was one part I remember is a scene where he kills a guy and we ended up changing it. So he like the way he kills him was he locks him in his car. Like he knocks the guy out, puts him in his car and sets the car on fire. Oh, wow. So the car explodes. And that's what <laughs> I, think, I, I think I had him lock him in the car, set the car on fire. Blaine had him and I had him. Like waking up and Blaine like, ha ha ha, on the phone because <laughs> he needs a ride somewhere and he walks oh, away. Geez. And then Blaine made it so the, the thing explodes and he walks away from the explosion. And I wrote back, you can't, that's the most standard thing ever to have mm-hmm. someone walk away from an explosion. So my, my next polish, I had him do exactly the opposite. I had him walk away, sit down and watch the show. You know, like wait for it. He's, he's, he's calling like a friend to give him come give him a lift because he's in a car now. And he's like, yeah, come give me a lift. And when the thing explodes, he's like, oh, yeah, he's all happy. <laughs> he's, all, he's all like, woohoo. So we took exactly the, and that was the kind of way we built it. You know? Yeah. Back, Back to sociopathic Blaine there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. He wrote a character. He wrote, it was a great, it's, it is. It's, the script still exists. If anybody out there wants to finance clip joint. Um, yeah, please do. It's a really good piece of work, and it's a great – it's a supporting villain character Ooh. for Blaine that as he's matured, uh, he's even gotten, uh, I think, even more um, qualified to play. Like, it wasn't mm. – it was, it, was it was a push, but now it's like he could real. I mean, he could always really do it. Um, so, but, yeah, I'd love to see that film. I'd see it a lot of day one day. Yeah, for sure. Well, it sounds like because you write so quickly. So how many scripts are we talking that are in in those drawers of yours, Paul? Uh, a couple dozen. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but I'll go through spurts. Like, I'll go through spurts where I'm like, you know, I'll, when I'm working on a, on a film that I've shot, I'm usually not, I'm usually obsessed. I'm usually in that 
movie. Uh-huh. So I'm not doing as much writing. It's usually when that movie is kind of put to bed, the writing starts to come back out. So I'll, then I'll write like five or six or seven things. And then I'll kind of out of one of those, pick one that's really speaking to me to make the next movie. And then I'll, then I'm, so I go in these writings. So it's like every couple of years there'll be a spurt of stuff and then it'll be nothing. And then a spurt of stuff. And that's kind of, since I've been making independent movies, that's kind of how it's gone for the most part. Listening really strikes me. And I don't, again, I don't censor what I write. Like to me, it's like, if I have an idea that I'm like, no one will ever make this, I'll still commit it to paper if it's in my head, if it won't mm-hmm. stop. Like I've written like, I wrote a zombie outbreak movie that takes place at a self-help center. You oh, know, wow. It's full of like, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sex addicts group. So it's like really weird. And There's wrote, a producer out there somewhere for that one. I'm sure I wrote one called Boy Eats Girl, which is a cannibal romantic comedy. <laughs> stuff that like... <laughs> <laughs> there's an audience just, for that definitely i'm sure there is and i've written other things that you know like we thought, oh, we'll try to make this but it's maybe a little more expensive or so but yeah, yeah i just try to shut out whatever's in the in whatever's in the head because it's just it gets it gets it out you know that's true do you work concurrently like do you ever kind of juggle a few things at once or do you like to just commit to one for the time being i, I, yeah, I kind of have to commit to one yeah um, although i can I can in the last thing I wrote because it's three different stories in one script. They're all kind of in the same vibe. Mm-hmm. That was one where I kind of worked on, kind of would work on two at once, but I would kind of force myself not to because I start. It, here's the thing: if I start thinking about working on something else, I'll never finish the thing I'm on. That's true. Yeah. That was something that Sid Field said in his book screenplays. Like, just you're going to get 20 other ideas when you're writing because your juices are flowing. Put them aside. Work on the thing you're on. Otherwise, you'll just keep hopping, and you mm-hmm. won't actually. Finish. So, with this uh, three-story script that I wrote, I would like I I start I started writing the first story because I had a really strong sense of it. Didn't have a strong sense of the second story, and about half of the first story, I started to get a little bit panicked. Like, what's the second story going to be? So I committed my brain to that for an evening and I, then I had it and I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. I got but I got to go back and finish the, the first one first. And so I kept trying not to work on the second one, <laughs> but then I come with new, like, Oh, but I put a little couple of notes and I can do this. I can do this. And then the same with the third one. Then I needed a wraparound and it kept going like that where I'm on the second one. I kind of idea for the third one. I'm like, no, finish the second one. At least for first drafts. Once I have a first draft done, I can, put that aside and work on something else. Once I'm in revision mode, it's, it's different. I don't have to have that same like mm-hmm. focus. Intense. Yeah. It's a, a different focus. It's more of a, it's, it's like you're like you're looking at somebody else's script and you're fixing it as yes. opposed, which is kind of why I put it away for a couple months. I forget a lot of what I wrote, Yeah. you know, and I uh, remember the stuff I'm like, I remember. So like it, I can read the dialogue and it, I can see where I screwed it up basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, I wanted to ask, I know you mentioned you were watching a lot of movies recently. So what have you been watching lately? I know a lot of people are going for comfort food movies, seeking out stuff that's familiar. Others are going for new stuff. What are you watching? And is there anything you'd like to recommend? Um, I, you know, uh, um, people always ask me, like, are you what shows are you watching? I always think that's so strange. I'm like, why aren't you watching movies? You don't have to. <laughs> I know. Show, I go for movies more. TV shows to me are just stretched out two thirds of a movie. Like there's no third act, and they just kind of go. <laughs> That's um, true. Uh, so I kind of jump around. I, I did. I don't get to the Criterion Channel as much as I would like. Mm-hmm. I love the Criterion Channel. I have it on my in our our um, our family room is where I have the Criterion Channel set up on my Apple TV, and it's where I prefer oh. to watch everything on Criterion Channel because it's big. It's the big TV and nice yes. couch and the whole. And then by my kids in there, literally occupying the room, uh, his entire waking life, <laughs> playing with <video laughs> their friends on, uh, you know, all his buddies are watching TV and, and stealing in there. When he leaves the room, my wife usually wants to watch something with me. And we tend to watch things up in our bedroom where I don't have uh, a criterion set up because we have an older Apple oh, TV and you can't get it. Gotcha. So, so, um, but I did watch, um, I, they have that whole uh, Columbia Noir series on there now and so i'm you know i'm watching a lot of that and that's some just some great stuff i thought was it the golden kimono was that the one or veil crimson kimono that was so good so good and so like progressive yes the asian guy playing an asian guy what no (laughs) 
Yeah, it oh wasn't Charlton Heston or something. No, just no. kidding. Seriously, yeah. like that was so. It was it was great, and and um and uh, uh, Murder by Contract is awesome. Actually, yeah, the first excellent, yeah. excellent first time the Columbia Noir was on there. I watched that one and Drive a Crooked Road, and then I mm-hmm. when I came back. I'm like I have to rewatch Murder by Contract, so I watched that again. Um, and there one there's one that wasn't part of that called, but it was another noir called um called my uh my uh, Colt is my passport. Have you seen that one? Yes, very good. Well, yeah, which was that shit at the end is amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of watching Gregor Rocky's uh, Living In right now, so okay, which I'd never seen before. I just I know somebody, I haven't either. No. Uh, I knew somebody who was in the movie, and he always like, oh, oh okay, I'll check it out. Um, so that's so there's that. I still have to see the Friends of Eddie Coyle, which is on there. So my oh key. amazing film. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm like all in. Um, and uh, so that's what I've been watching. But I, I've also been watching like a lot. I've been revisiting a lot of stuff I already own. <laughs> like, Me too. Yeah. Casino, or I watched um, I watched um, To Live and Die in L.A., which I know you just rewatched, and The French Connection, like almost back to back, but in that order. Like for some oh, reason, yeah. I went To Live and Die in L.A., and then I went French Connection. I don't know why I would do that, but I did. This is I just weirdly, a- I kind of think I prefer To Live and Die in L.A. I to don't Live know. in L.A. is a more is a more like fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's that to me is a special movie because it was the first R-rated film I got to see by myself. Oh, really? Gotcha. As a seventeen-year-old, I got mm-hmm. to go see it with friends of mine who were also all seventeen, and we didn't have to have our parents with us. And it's like, and Miami Vice was really big, and so it was like it was like a Miami Vice version of the French Connection. It from, really is. Yeah. yeah. All the Wang Chung music and all that stuff, and I was just like, uh, we were we were pretty obsessed with that movie for for a good stretch. And then the French Connection is much more of a it's my. It's funny. I read that that bi, that biography of the autobiography of William Freakin, and when you mm-hmm. realize that he came out of documentary, that that was his way into movies, his movies make a lot m- more sense. Not not that they don't make sense on their own. You don't need to know that to appreciate mm-hmm. his movies. But when you know that, you go, Oh, I get why he's approaching it this way. The docudrama you know, style. Yeah. 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 Really present in the French Connection, um, so yeah, I, I, I don't. I think as a fun experience, like I find living out in LA more watchable. But yeah. the French Connection's a lot. It's great though. It's yeah. really a snapshot. So then I watched that, and then I watched which I hadn't seen before, the Seven Ups. I bought the Twilight Time and the Seven Ups as a blind buy, which I wasn't that oh. impressed with. Oh, the you car chase though. Yeah, I love the car, car chase. chase is great. It. Yeah. yeah, the car chase is great, and um, and I love Roy Scheider. Yes. So I'm like, how can you kind of go? You can't. I didn't dislike it, but after the French connection, I was like, oh, okay, this feels like a. <laughs> this, this feels. It was, it was a letdown. Yeah. This feels I less can see that. I guess. Yeah. But, it, but look, it's got that great car chase. It's got Richard Lynch as a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you. It's definitely worth a watch. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, I, I went down this. I fell in this whole uh, giallo uh, <laughs> pit. <laughs> Like the strange vice of Mrs. Ward, uh, which is a, a very odd movie, um, and uh, and um, all the colors of the dark, and I kind of fell in this 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 crime thriller, Jello hole, which is which is fun. Um, those movies you <laughs> definitely have to take with a grain of salt because just particularly just the the, the post having a dialogue and the, the period and you know and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But the better ones feel like De Palma movies. Like that's where De Palma is kind of yeah. There's, there, from that same Hitchcock well, you know, mm-hmm. um, and De Palma's to me sort of perfected that formula in the eighties. So, yeah, he really did. I just watched, um, I just watched, uh, a few films on Netflix while I was, uh, I was, I was just traveling with the family. Like every night when they go to bed, I could, okay, I could watch Netflix on my, on my laptop. <laughs> so, so I watched, uh, I watched some junk food. I watched murder ministry with Adam Sandler and, and, uh, and, um, and Jennifer Anderson, which is okay. Uh, I watched um, uh, Killing Them Softly with Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. which is a really well cast movie. But I, I didn't w- get into it. No, I kind of wish it was. Why is James Gandolfini in the movie? Pretty much, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that I, was not my favorite. No, but it should have been way better. It should have been, yes. Casting was excellent. The tone of the film was really cool, but it just, man, it just didn't go anywhere. And no. there's a better film, a better film in there. Yeah. Uh, it was adapted from a book, and I feel like they did a literal adaptation instead of doing what Steven Spielberg did with Jaws, where you take it and you turn it into a movie. 
you know? Yeah, like if, or The Godfather. If, turn it into the God, a movie. Yeah. yeah. The Godfather. Like, if you ever read those books and you see the movies, it's like, oh, they did a, a major yeah. rework. And it's like this the movie about a, about a guy who does a robbery and uh, with a couple other guys, and then the hitman is coming to get revenge, finds yeah. him and makes him roll over all his guys. There's mm-hmm. a real there and especially with that cast my god oh my gosh justin leota and everybody yeah and they just had james this had james gandolfini come into the movie for 20 minutes and pontificate about whatever he's pontificating about and say fuck a lot and yeah. then <laughs> cut that Talk out about his junk all the time yeah it yeah. was like come on <laughs> then, then go yeah the job we brought him into town for he's not qualified to do let's just send him home and then off camera they send him home to talk about it i know it was off camera yeah yeah it's that movie is a hundred and it's an hour and 37 minutes and 20 minutes of it are that and yeah (laughs) screenwriting professor in college who said look you know your film takes place over however long it takes place over you know two days two weeks two months several years whatever the duration of your film is and you're picking 120 minutes or less within that span to tell your story yeah. choose wisely Definitely. i always thought i got to heart and it's that's one where they didn't choose wisely um but God, what else did i see see i told you i was gonna brain melt oh you're <laughs> fine no um i saw edmund also um the uh the uh david mamet film you see that movie david mamet yes, wrote it that julia styles and was it bill macy it's bill macy it's directed by Stuart Gordon, who is yeah. brilliant. Uh, have you seen that film? I have. It's been so long, though. I, it was dark, if I remember right. It's very dark. It didn't work for me. It felt like no. a lot to me. But again, like, what can I recommend? I can recommend you go to Criterion Channel and Columbia <laughs> Noir stuff. Yeah. Well, hey, that's okay. What so what are it? some of your favorite movies? Let's go with that. Like, a couple. Wow, I mean, well, I'm sure you have a ton. but. ton. Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favorite. Okay. Movie. That's got to take Very the reigning cool. champion. Um, God, up, up at the top five, Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, uh, yes, yeah. After Hours. Oh, uh, God, yeah. <laughs> now. It was funny. I was talking with Patrick Day about what his favorite movie was, and he goes, oh, the Blues Brothers. And I was like, oh, my God, that's oh. a that's a great <laughs> – but, but what a great movie. It really is. It really is. And, in fact, I just I – just, um, because I I had it in my collection and I went to show my teenage son because he'd seen like the chase scene but he hadn't seen. It. I'm like we gotta rectify that right now. We gotta pull it. Out. I went to find it and I couldn't find it. I don't know if somebody borrowed it, oh, but it's no. not it wasn't on my shelf, so I had to rebuy it. And I bought the uh, Steelbook Blu-ray edition, uh, cool. which just right. I popped in to make sure because it said like version Francais on it. I'm like oh Jesus, I hope this is the the actual proper movie, and not just some weird yeah. <laughs> box. So I popped it in, and it's the proper thing. Uh, and I'm watching this, and I just I mean, it struck me like how this is a Saturday Night Live sketch comedy movie done it's right, done right. Like it's a yeah. cinematic, musical, funny action masterpiece. And so that was another one that I was like, wow, I don't know where that falls in my list, but it should be up there. Um, mm-hmm. Apocalypse Now, I mentioned um, Under the Skin is a, a, a ah interesting. Newer, I love that movie. I don't know if you've seen that. I'm sure you've seen yeah, it. Yeah, uh-huh. definitely. Um, so, uh, you know, the conversation and just all these macho. <laughs> oh, no, you're fine. Uh, well, our movies, I love The Evil Dead. Is okay. Movie. That's one of my absolute favorites. Uh, and Dawn of the Dead by George Romero is one of my absolute favorites. So we can go there. Excellent. Well, I know you have three kids. Are they getting into movies at all? I know you mentioned video games. And how do their tastes differ for fun? Um, my older two, so my oldest, my my eldest is she'll be twenty three, like on Sunday. So oh, happy early birthday! She's a thank you. She's a grown up. Um, wow. <laughs> and the other one, the uh, the um, teenager boy, is uh, he'll be eighteen next month. Okay. So, and he's actually, and they both don't live with me anymore. They both okay. Have, their bio is slightly, <laughs> just, by, <laughs> just slightly. Like, the daughter okay. just graduated college, so she technically isn't. And she was technically residing here while she was living out of state, but now she really just lives out of state. And okay. then the boy just moved. In fact, if you look behind me, I know I I, don't, I assume his podcast is audio, but yeah, we're we're skyping. You can see all these oh. boxes behind me. I'm in his yeah. room. 
and in my son's room. This is all this stuff <laughs> we're boxing up to send to him. Um, oh, he wow. moved out. So they, um, they, I've gotten them. I did it. I, I'm proud of the job I did with them as cinephiles. Like they're. All right. I remember my daughter when I was about. She was about 12. I'd shown her 12. I'd shown her like Taxi Driver. <laughs> Good hey, show. I saw it about age 12. I mean, right. you know, yeah. I showed her an After Hours, and I, I forget what. Yeah. what oh, a, a King of Comedy, and mm-hmm. uh, which is another favorite of mine. And she. I think I frequently finished King Comedy. She went to me. She was, you know, I think Stuart Scorsese is my favorite director. And I'm like, mic drop, done. Yes, I know. Uh, That's great. Uh, so she's a big cinephile. And then my son, even more so. Like, you know, he was um, like, well, I was thinking about rewatching like Casino and rewatching the conversation. Those things. I was doing that because he wanted to see them. You know, he's like, so what's, cool. he's like, hey, let's watch something. So every like Saturday night, we pop in a movie. And I kind of curate these things. And mm-hmm. he's obsessed with like Fandango, for example, the, the Kevin, uh, the Kevin Reynolds movie from 1985. Okay. Is that the film I'm talking about? No, I don't. Oh my God. You have to rectify this right away. Okay. Early Amblin films movie. It's an early Kevin uh, Costner movie. It's Kevin Costner and Kevin Reynolds, Kevin Reynolds first feature. Wow. You just and, sold me right there. Yeah. Oh, Kevin and, Costner, 85. Hello. Yeah. It's, it's pre, uh, obviously, it's pre Silverado Kevin Costner. Okay. It's about, about five college kids in 1970 that are 71 that graduate from college and they're now faced with the drafts of the Vietnam War uh-huh. and basically going on a last road trip to to celebrate the end of their youth, essentially. And Kevin Costner has been drafted. And he's like, I'm gonna bail. Like, I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to Mexico. I'm not I'm not going. And uh-huh. Judd Nelson playing the nerd of the group. Who is an ROTC and can't wait to go to Vietnam? Oh wow! Sam Robards plays kind of the guy in the middle, who he's just got drafted and he, he broke up with his fiance because he's like doesn't want to doesn't think it's fair to her to go away to war. Sure. And even though she's like that's not your decision to make for me. Yeah. He's like he's up with her and he's regretting it the whole time and they go on this crazy road trip. One and there's a, this other guy with them who's very silent, this giant guy. One guy who's passed out for the whole movie. <laughs> um, it's an amazing piece of work. So he's obsessed now. He's obsessed with King of Comedy. I mentioned before. He's like, mm-hmm. he would, you know, I put the show to me, take the Blu-ray. He's obsessed with, he's obsessed with, he's obsessed with um, Goodfellas as well. All right. Good job. Glorious Bastards, which Excellent. by the way, another, yeah. another favorite of mine, Glorious Bastards and Reservoir Dogs are my top two Tarantino with Jackie Brown slightly below it. Um, uh-huh. I can't go wrong with any Tarantino, honestly, uh, for me. And, um, and uh, he's obsessed with uh, the, uh, the Irishman. Which is super ah, weird. Super weird. I like for, that. Yeah. But, right. We went and saw it in the theater, and I'm like, we gotta see this. And you know, it's three and a half hours. It's a, It doesn't have the energy of Goodfellas or Casino at all. You know, it's no, a much. But more, I still love it. Yeah. yeah. It's a. It's a very different. Mm-hmm. Like you can see a 17 year old getting obsessed with Goodfellas because it's so. Bam, yeah, bam, bam. I like that he just latched onto that. That is yeah. so cool. But the Departed. He's like, but the Departed. He's completely got into and he would watch it on Netflix just all the time on his laptop over once we'd seen it theatrically and he could quote the movie and he could do like, <laughs> and then we saw, I showed him Scarface and he couldn't, he's like, that's the, that's, that's Hoffa. I can't, I can't look, that doesn't look right. Like he's like, cause he looks so young. Like, ah. this, and I said, wait till I show you, you know, dog day afternoon. You're going to have a real mm-hmm. problem. <laughs> dog day afternoon. Yeah. Oh, I just Before the devil knows you're dead. Another one I hadn't seen. Since it very came out. good film. Very good film. I just bought the Blu-ray from Shout Factory. I see I've been watching a lot of movies. Um, but he's so he's he's like he's you know into film. He wants to be a sound designer. So he's great. Uh, uh, I like that. Yeah. He's all he's all about like we blow out one of his favorite movies. Um, and uh, he wanted to see it originally because of the sound design elements in the story. And but he was like, and now he's obsessed with this whole Chappaquiddick conspiracy story. Um, the, <laughs> the nine-year-old though is a completely lost cause. Like I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't get him to watch. Anything. Some time, give it some time, maybe. I'm, yeah. I'm like I'm trying to get him to watch Raising Arizona, which I think he would love. And uh-huh. it's like as soon as he's just anything, he's like, nope. He likes movies that have. He's into video games. He's passionate about video games the way that I am passionate about movies. 
like when I was a kid, I used to walk to my parents and explain the plot to movies, bah, 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 and they'd like glaze over and shut up. And, <laughs> and he does the same thing to me about, you know, Tales and Sonic and all, you know, and Mario, all the different, you know, in Minecraft, blah, 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 and in Fortnite, blah, 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 blah. And he does the same thing to me. Very passionate. That's what he wants to do when he grows up. And I try to, his favorite movies are only movies that have video game elements. elements. Gotcha. So like he loves Sonic the Hedgehog. Or okay. he, loves, he loves Pixels. You know, those okay. are his movies. Sure. Um, but he really just likes to watch YouTube and watch people play video games. <laughs> That's what he'll he get there, maybe. Yeah, maybe we'll see. I, I, it's I have to accept that he's a different person. Sure, than that. everybody likes path. different things. Yeah. He's wrong, <laughs> <laughs> but as long as he follows his passions, he'll be okay. He does not yeah. have to like. Have you shown the 18-year-old the original Infernal Affairs that became Departed? I have not, but you know, uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen Infernal Affairs. Oh my gosh, it's a great trilogy. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. I, love, I love The Departed. He's seen The Departed. Um, but uh, no, I haven't seen as it. So it is good, obviously. Yes. Very good. Yeah. I don't think I I've shown him like that. I think he would. He loves he loves uh, Face Off. But I don't, okay. think, I don't think I've shown him like A Better Tomorrow or Bullet in the Head or uh, Hard Boiled or The Killer. I don't think I've, I have all those. Okay. I, good. Love, I love really John Woo. I don't think I've shown him any of those. And I love. Um, the uh, was it uh, full contact the 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 Chow Yun Fat oh, Chow Yun Fat yeah that's uh, blank remake which uh-huh. is amazing yeah I'm mm-hmm. obsessed with Chow Yun Fat um, I don't think I've shown him any of that stuff so I, I've been remiss apparently so now I know what we'll just show him when he comes back in the fall I'll show him <laughs> to visit I'll show him, uh, <laughs> you're gonna blow him. his mind show him some <laughs> Hong Kong goodness I'll yeah. start with the killer yeah, I think it's a good one to start with oh God yes the killer is one of my favorites. The Killer yeah. or Hardboy show? I don't know. Yeah, I love them both. I usually watch them back to back, but I'm weird, so. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're in a lot of ways are. I mean, Wu has his specific obsessions, and yes, they're kind of the same movie in a lot of ways. But I don't think that means doesn't mean you can't watch them both. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. Well, this was so much fun. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And Thank you so much. I hope I didn't bore you by just yammering away about stuff. Oh, no. I was totally fascinated. It was so cool to hear about your writing process and everything and talk movies. I mean, I can Always. do that. Yeah, every day. Exactly. Yeah. All day long. Well, I should let you get back to editing your mm-hmm. upcoming 2022 feature. I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah. Thank <you> so much. <laughs> well, thanks, Paul. You take care. You have a good week. You too. Thank you so much, Jen. Yay. Watch it, Jen. This is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com or filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen and Friends.